Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalint Podcast. Samsung has finally confirmed the date it's expected to announce the Samsung Galaxy S22 range. But what's the story so far and should you be excited? Pocalint's Mike Lowe has been following what's been happening and joins me to detail what we should be expecting on the 9th of February. Last month, I caught up with principal UX designer of TomTom to discuss the company's new digital cockpit software platform for car makers that hopes will change the way we interact with our cars and had plenty of questions. And Pocketland's Rick Henderson has been playing the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection a remastering of the last two titles for the PlayStation 5 users. Are they worth revisiting? Stay tuned to find out. First, back to you, Mike. What's been happening with Samsung? Hello. Um, Well, it's all a bit of conjecture at the moment because the only thing we know is that the date for what's called Galaxy Unpacked is on the 9th of February. And pretty much year on year, that that tells you that here comes the new flagship Galaxy phones. this year, 2022, uh, it should follow a pretty similar format, actually, to, to previous. So the expectation is we're going to have a trio of handsets, um, which would be the S22, S22 Plus, and the big one, the S22 Ultra. Now, do we see, is it, in some instances, some years, we just see a kind of incremental movement, you know, hey, look, it's a new processor, it's new more powerful things but within very much the same design yeah. are we likely to see a, a, a refresh of the design or are they going to sort of take back things easy this year um i think we've spoken before kind of at length about how this this idea of refinement is becoming a very kind of strong mm. thing within different companies and, and in one sense i would see apple as uh, sorry samsung as being kind of like the apple um in in the android phone market so what we're kind of expecting is not a dramatic dramatic change between what we've seen in the s21 from last year um it will follow a design change as far as we can see from various leaks that have happened um but it's kind of a a more refinement kind of point of view so um the camera enclosure on the rear is a particular change that's happened that's changed each year um last year was almost like a little kind of corner piece that that popped out a bit this time it looks as though it's going to be much more kind of pared down, really kind of simplistic looking, more um, part of the body of the phone, kind of less less protrusion right. than has happened previously. So it just looks kind of neater and tidier and there's some, some nice kind of flatter colours and it just looks that little bit more um, contemporary really. But also um, there seems to be a shift in how things are sized. So, and we've seen this across you know, multiple manufacturers this year, um, not everyone one wants a massive, massive phone. So it looks as though, and I'm not saying it's a small device, but the, the entry-level model is going to be pretty much bang on the six-inch point rather than any larger. And then the Plus will be a bit bigger and the Ultra will be bigger again. So it actually gives some proper segregation between kind of your entry-level products, mid-level and, and the top end. And is there any sort of rumours, and I know all of this stuff is rumoured so far, there hasn't been any, apart from the date, there hasn't been any confirmation of, of 
of what's to come. That bear in mind, though, is, is there any rumours so far that you thought, oh, oh, I'm actually quite excited about that. That seems interesting. Um, the the really big thing is, and it's been discussed for quite a long time, uh, the, the Ultra model looks pretty much to replace what was the Note range. So there's a pretty strong rumour that the Ultra and the Ultra only will be the, the one to come with what Samsung calls S Pen, which is its stylus um, integrated within the body. So it kind of, it's a bit of a step change or at least a naming change for how that's going to be seen and used. Um, quite an interesting choice to, to no longer put any kind of separation in terms of branding between um, having and using a, a stylus on, on a phone because obviously it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact it's thought to be included is quite a big jump really. So it almost makes the Ultra a little bit like the new note in a way mm-hmm. um, but then all of them should in theory we believe be compatible with the the stylus anyway it just won't be possible to integrate it into the body of any except for the the ultra model basically and and we've obviously just had a, a spate of of phone launches from uh the chinese brands uh new huawei's new uh new xiaomi's and, and things like that does this come into a market that will we think is going to be able to, will it be able to stand up on its own or are they going to be ahead of the curve do you believe or or do you think there's still you know the chinese have, have actually come up with some stuff that's going to make them look a bit mm. um i think what samsung's really doing with this is just being kind of confident in knowing it can deliver in the important areas so the 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 more entry models the 22 and the, the plus will come with um high resolution cameras um there's other features that we know Samsung can do. So like in the the Fold that came out as in the foldable device earlier in the year, not this year, sorry, last year, 2021, that had a underscreen camera. We're not expecting that at all across the S22 range um, because I think it, it, this kind of whole set looks to be about what can be done really well with sort of no questions asked. We, we know there's going to be a punch hole camera on the front that's fine. People are used to that. And I think it's, it's not necessarily about standing out in kind of big look at me kind of ways. It's kind of saying, this is the most refined kind of Android handset you can buy. And over the years, they've been so successful. As I say, they're almost like the kind of Apple equivalent in Android. So it's very much like, I think quite a design point stand out rather than any of those kind of massive giant features that are new and exciting, but not necessarily ready for market. Whereas everything here looks to be that it's going to be a really kind of solid offering still to come rick gives us his verdict on the uncharted legacy of thieves collection for the test i played the ps4 version of uncharted 4 for a little while and the ps5 version and that i cut up it was that moment where you suddenly realize how long you spent just waiting for things to load on the last generation of consoles TomTom is a name synonymous with in-car navigation, having been one of the first companies to offer standalone in-car devices that we stuck to our windscreens. The company might not be the household name it once was, but its data still powers many of the navigation systems we all use in our cars today. Its next evolution is TomTom Indigo, an open digital cockpit software platform for car makers that hopes to revive the company's fortunes and the power the next wave of innovation in our cars. But how do you go about creating such a system and what's involved? I recently chatted to Drew Meehan, TomTom's principal UX designer and someone I've known for several years to talk about just that. I started by asking what an open digital cockpit software platform actually does. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is something that we, uh, it steps off what we're already doing and what we're already great at, right? Which is in-car navigation. A lot of people don't realize maybe that they have TomTom -tom, um, navigation in their cars, but a lot of people uh, actually do. And our services as well, like traffic or live updates on things um, that actually come through a lot of the world's uh, cars. What Indigo is as this open platform for uh, in you know digital cockpit is really a, a base for car makers to build the entire uh, infotainment system so um, that really means every part of what you would see on your screens in a car um, the platform itself is a, a sort of extensible uh, customizable baseline framework that uh, that that the the car makers can sort of tailor to whatever they need right and and we've mm. designed it as such because we feel like there's a little bit of a gap in the market right now uh both from a user side and also from a car maker side sort of what what the needs are now companies like google and apple with carplay and, and android auto have, have already started to try and attempt to do this what makes TomTom believe that their approach is going to be better. Yeah, so the difference between you know Android Auto and CarPlay is that they are uh, really just projections from a phone onto an existing um, in-car experience. So everything that's happening in the cluster, so you know the part that's behind your steering wheel, speed mm -hmm. and and fuel and uh, you know those kinds of that kind of information. Um, what's happening around the center with media, but also heat and cooling and, and you know, all of the in-car settings. So, you know, especially these days with uh, electric vehicles, you have a lot more settings. You have regeneration settings, and maybe you can visualize uh, how much of your battery is charging while you're braking and things like that. Um, Indigo is, is all of that. It's right. all of the cluster. It's all of the, the 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 head unit or the center stack. You know, the the main screen between the driver and the passenger experience. It integrates all of the media experiences, but also all of the previously uh, let's call them car centric experiences. Right, the 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 things that actually control things in your car. Indigo does all of those. It's not simply for the sort of overlay of maps and, and entertainment. It's actually just built in the navigation, the, the media um, it is just part of it. It's built to sort of be able to take in. It's an open platform. So essentially apps can be added on, uh, but they're fully integrated experience. So you get your, your media, uh, your, your music, um, even potentially video in certain circumstances, right? If you're stopped to charging your car or something, maybe you have mm. video. Um, all of those things can be built right in. And it also is built to work with as many screens as the car has. And we know that, you know, screens are kind of expanding, right? Every, every car company seems to be adding more and more screens, maybe for backseat passengers, maybe for the front seat passenger. And Indigo actually accommodates all of that with one uh, you you know one continuous experience, one seamless experience that goes through all of those screens and is built all in one place. And as and as someone who's worked on the UX side of things within the automotive industry for a long time, and have seen that transition from buttons to screens, has has that made your life easier or more complex? Well, that's a great that is a, that is a tough question. 
Um, I'll be honest, I, I still love some buttons in my, in my car. Um, mm. In many ways, it makes it more complex. Um, a hard control actually you know, is something that's very fixed and set and you don't have to work around, for example, is music playing at the same time? It doesn't matter if music is playing, the, the, the knob controls the temperature and not, sure. you know, not the other way around. And that's a big part of what we're trying to solve, right? Create a, a, a user experience that um, those pieces don't feel uh, sort of, you know, stitched together. They feel seamless. They feel completely integrated. So the 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 HVAC, as we call it, the, the heating and cooling temperature controls, um, you know, they're integrated in a way that it doesn't feel like they're interfering. They don't overlap. Uh, they don't sort of, you know, the notifications and things are designed to be prioritized. They have a logic and an algorithm so that you don't get a music uh, notification instead of your next turn indication, for example, because they're not interfering, right? They're working together in the back end to create that sort of front end that's really useful for the driver. And you talk about, you know, this sort of, now cars have, have got even bigger screens and, and, and that transition to, to designing for those. Are there any challenges apart from, you know, things overlapping and stuff that, that really that you're finding that you're trying to solve? Yes, <laughs> there are a huge number of challenges. Um, bigger screens, more screens, each, each new thing creates a new challenge. Um, that can be everything from the, the very small, let's say, uh, you know, just the, the, the sheer size of the screen means that some of the screen is actually going to be below your normal glance point, right? You, you want to keep, um, when you're in a car, reducing distraction is partly about, you know, clarity and how things are, are shown and the, the good size so that you can actually read it while you're driving. But another part of that is, is very physical, right? That uh, when you're looking out the windscreen, you want to be able to glance. So what we call a visual arc, right? That if you imagine taking your eyes off and doing a quick glance, you want to be able to sort of scroll across a quick arc. Right. Those are the inf that's the information where you're gonna that you're gonna see first and easiest, right? And we actually do user testing uh, with eye tracking glasses um, to see if people can sort of use our systems in that way. Uh, the problem is uh, every new car company comes out with a new layout and a new screen, and you kind of need to retest all of those things again. You need to say, oh, well, actually now this needs to be further up the screen because otherwise it's buried too low and you know, drivers can't, can't see it while they're driving, or um, maybe actually the physical touch point on the screen uh, means that uh, something is, is, you know, you, you can't pinpoint uh, the close button, for example. So it, with Indigo, um, one of the things we did based on user testing was actually, we went with swipes to dismiss uh, notifications, for example, because we found that, uh, you know, users had trouble finding that X to close a close a little panel or a close yeah. a little window that popped up, which on a on a smartphone or on a computer is not a problem at all. But in a in a in a car, in a moving vehicle, you need to minimize that kind of distraction and that kind of glance. And even if it's maybe, you know, the difference between a second and a half to a second um, can make a huge difference in a driving scenario. Now within the wider industry outside of the automotive uh, world, we obviously went from buttons, I yeah. touch, you know, phones with with keypads to screens. And, and in more recent years, we've started to see, you know, the use of voice and yes. other kind of 
interface paradigms, so to speak. Do you foresee that to happen in the same as as, as cars? Do you think this shift to screens is a, is a temporary solution before we all shift to voice or before we shift to, you know, augmented reality on the on the displays or, or things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, voice is fully integrated into Indigo as well because we do think that it's a big part of uh, the sort of safe future, you know, use of an in-car system, right? So uh, uh, different voice providers are actually already supported out of the box as part of what uh, we're trying to provide is a kind of quick startup for uh, anyone using the Indigo platform to really get moving with the sort of best in class right from the beginning, right? We've kind of built that all in, we've tested it all, we know how it works and you just get it as part of the package. Um, I think that when it comes to augmented reality, whether that means that screens are going to go away, I think screens are going to be here for quite a long time. There is a lot of visual feedback that is quite useful. I think that they will diminish a little bit in, in their value um, as interaction devices, perhaps. But there is still a lot of um, physical demands around, for example, maps and um, ADAS, so, you know, driver assisted systems, right. um, you know, those kinds of things are, are really useful to be visualized. So I think what we're going to see is a shift from, uh, you know, screens that are kind of just emulate what a phone did, but stuck to your dashboard um, to screens that provide really valuable feedback about what the car is doing. Uh, and and that even if you're doing voice searches, for example, we know that users still want to see that location on the map uh, in in response to their voice search as confirmation. It's reassurance. It creates confidence and trust in what the car is doing. Right? You don't want to just go uh, and trust that the voice assistant did what you wanted. You want to see that. Uh, and the same goes for advanced driver assistance systems. And again, Indigo is built um, to be able to visualize all those things from the beginning, right? We're, we're looking to the future and even to automated driving and, and, you know, what that means for how these things will change once you're maybe partially hands off the wheel or slightly uh, different position there. And that's, and that's the, the sort of the, kind of the end point of the conversation, isn't it? Is that we're talking already within the automotive industry of, of, wheelless cars you know steering wheelless cars as as the 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 idea of what a car does changes and how do you think uh, what potential opportunities or or threats does that does that give ux within the vehicle when you can't even necessarily control it yeah i mean i think i think the 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 in-car user experience is is going to have to shift perspective from one where you are uh, creating a sort of information for acting upon, uh, which is what you currently have, right? We, we tell a driver what they need to do um, to one where it's information for reassurance or one for, for confidence. Um, it doesn't mean that those in-car systems are going to go away, but they will need to, sh- to sort of switch modes how they present information. That information is going to be needed in a way to, you know, maybe know if, if a car is automated, really automated, and I, I still think we're quite a few years off from the, the sort of full level five automation, but let's just say we are there. Um, 
I think, you know, you, you're not going to, you're still going to be in a car, right? So the airplane mm. is not a, a sort of good analog. Um, you know, an airplane goes straight and it's smooth and you don't have to really think about it. A car is still going to go around sharp turns. It's still going to have uh, speed humps. It's still going to have uh, potholes and things that it, that it needs to sort of navigate. So you, you might need to inform a driver, for example, that that's going to happen. And you may need to, uh, you know, uh, even route uh, around them. Um, so part of the navigation might be, you know, a, a choice to say, well, I want this to be as automated as possible. Um, and we think that Indigo as a platform, because it's such an open tool and it has the sort of development, you know, portal that, that apps can be developed quickly and be mm. fully integrated into the system, it will allow that kind of extensibility. Any manufacturer can come along. They could build a car for right now. But if they wanted to push that limit and have uh, automated driving as part of their system, there's no reason that they or a third party couldn't easily develop that and integrate it right in and, and sort of change that and have that, you know, part of uh, already the built-in systems from the beginning. And my final question is, is, I know that Indigo is obviously, it's just starting its journey, uh, no pun intended yes. on, on that. <laughs> when when do you perceive will you know, listeners will be able to see this in a, in a car, in a, in a real life environment. Yeah, well, we already have a customer uh, signed up, so they'll be able to see this um, in a real production car. Uh, I think, um, I, I don't want to get the, the date wrong, but I think it's uh, end of 2022, maybe t beginning of 2023 is the actual start of production. And I think they'll see it uh, sort of actually working in an in-car environment uh, before that, uh, Q2 of 2022 that uh, will be showing, I think, the first uh, sort of prototype versions of that car that we've been working on with the partner. The Uncharted series has been a phenomenal success for Sony over the years, both financially and critical, but we haven't had a new game since The Lost Legacy in 2017. And with an Uncharted movie now doing the rounds, the new outing for Nathan Drake and its chums is long overdue. Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection isn't that, but it is a chance to replay the last two outings remastered for the PS5. But should you bother? Well, Pocalens Rick Henderson has been playing through the games. I think you've completed them, haven't you, Rick? Yeah. But once again, to find out whether they're any good. So, Rick, is it a thumbs up? Yeah, definitely a th thumbs up, um, mainly for newcomers, obviously. Um, you are. We're talking about two of the PlayStation 4's best titles, repackaged, remastered within inverted quotes um, for the PlayStation 5. So you're getting two amazing games, regardless of, of anything else. But for... Um, seasoned players, players who have already played them, um, there might be less of a reason to go back, but I still think it's worth it. So the question I have for you before we start talking about the PlayStation 5 version, is this available for the PlayStation 4 in the sense that if I haven't managed to get around for some reason of playing the last two games, I can do it and enjoy a remastered version anyway? No. Um, the collection is uh, PS5 exclusive for now. Um, it will be also available for PC later this year. The um, the main reason being is that the enhancements are PS5-only enhancements. You can actually buy the uh, a collection pack or a, a double pack of the of Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, and Uncharted Lost Legacy anyway. So, um, and in fact, um, before we even get into the, the nitty-gritty of the enhancements, etc., um, I have a tip for um, listeners. Wow. The uh, Sony 
is happily letting people upgrade to the PS5 collection if they own either of the two games on PS4. Okay. So, uh, and that and that will cost you, I think it's £10 or $10, depending on your region. So you can actually get the collection for really cheap if you only buy one of the games. And the big tip is, is if you go onto a, an online retailer such as Amazon, then you can find the original Uncharted 4 on PS4 for about um, £14. Pound. So, so considering the collection is, yes, considering the collection is around £49. Pounds, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good tip on getting it cheap. As Blackadder would say, that's more cunning than a fox with a degree of cunningness from Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Right. So let's talk about the games themselves, though. So is the remaster worth it? Right. Well, <laughs> as I said earlier, the remaster is in, within inverted commas because what you won't get is the sort of level of graphical um, rework as the previous Nathan Drake collection, which came out for PS4, based on the PS3 versions. Um, That kind of overhauled all the graphics, made everything look much better. This one isn't that, basically because it doesn't need to be. Let's face it, Uncharted 4 and uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy, they may be five and six years old, Mm. But they actually look like native PS5 games already. Oh, wow. They were so good at the time um, that, uh, quite frankly, they, A, they made my PS4 Pro sound like it was taking off at, like a <laughs> helicopter because the graphics chip was getting so hot. But they were so good at the time that they actually, the transition, they have aged really, really well. What you do get with the enhancements graphically is uh, three separate new modes. You get native 4K. The originals weren't in 4K, even on PS4 Pro but that runs at 30 frames per second. You also get a performance mode, which is 1440p, but that runs at 60 frames per second. That's by far and away our favorite mode. Um, And you also get a 120 hertz option. Now that runs the game at 1080p. It softens the graphics a a bit, as you would imagine, because you're getting half the resolution. But um, But the actual... Uh, if you have got an 120 hertz TV, it's worth having a go to see just how buttery smooth the game can run. I mean, it is ridiculously smooth. But I prefer the 60 frames per second mode because the, the smoothness is not as perceptible as the resolution drop. Now, obviously, we talked about the graphic enhancements. Are there any differences to the game? Sometimes when uh, studio remasters things, they go, oh, we're just throwing in this extra level or we've thrown in something, you know, some extra Easter eggs or even an extra multiplayer version or whatever i know uh, uncharted isn't multiplayer at all but is there any is there any any difference to the gameplay at all uh no uh, in fact it, there is one major difference and it's actually a negative in the fact that uh, uncharted 4 sometime after uncharted 4 first released uh, they added a multiplayer mode um which was quite fun it wasn't great it wasn't like it didn't set the world on mm. fire but it was okay that's gone that's gone completely the servers were closed down years ago they probably didn't want to reopen them so um, so you actually lose an aspect of the original Uncharted 4. You don't gain any other gameplay amendments. Um, there's no hidden secrets. There's no Easter eggs. The games are presented exactly as they were before, which is around combined 20 hours of action adventuring. Now, what you do get, as well as the um, 
graphics, though, is you get some of the other benefits of the PlayStation 5, namely um, some dual sense features, although they're quite subtle, so you don't really notice them. Um, 3D audio, if you've got a headset that's capable. But the most important one for me was faster loading times. And that made the games so much different. I, For the test, I played the PS4 version of Uncharted 4 for a little while and the PS5 version. And the, I, 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 it was that moment where you suddenly realise how long you spent just waiting for things to load on the last generation of consoles. The amount of your life that you wasted just waiting for loading. Whereas the PlayStation 5 version is almost instant. It is perfect. Um, you can get straight into the action. And you talked about this briefly about the sort of, you know, they've they've held up well. Sometimes our, our classic favourites, when you come to play it, you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, there was this was bug-ridden or it was, you know, the story's inappropriate or something's, you know, just the world's moved on. Are you Did you find that was any, does that cause a problem or is it just, you know, that's the final question, was, was it enjoyable to go back? Yeah, very much enjoyable. I, th- I think Naughty Dog, the developer, um, is, uh, who also uh, does, um, develops the last of us and previously crash bandicoot um are masters at storytelling and are very conscious of uh ensuring that a, a story has a beginning a middle and an end and is captivating doesn't need to use any kind of um overly overly um sensitive plot lines i mean ultimately the Uncharted series is about treasure hunting in in lands that you've that you would never have visited, and it's a bit like a Bond film mm. um, in the fact that it's big action sequences, etc. There's nothing. I mean, even the politics of it it steers away from stereotypes of areas or stere- uh, There's some dodgy South African accents in the first game, but uh, but it doesn't stereotype South African people. For mm. example, it just says that here's a is a, a mercenary group that just so happened to be from South Africa. Um, so there is nothing, there's nothing that really touches on a nerve in the Uncharted series, and the voice acting throughout the the, the work by uh, Nolan North as Nathan Drake and Troy Baker as Sam Drake makes it a joy. The previous Uncharted, they were all very solitary adventures. You occasionally had an extra character or two, yeah. but they didn't really join you on the adventure. You were, it was a very solitary adventure. The, these two games are very much a combined adventure. You still play the lead character, but someone else is always accompanying you. So there's banter throughout, there's talk. It, uh, it's, they are. Having revisited them, I'd forgotten how good the Uncharted games really were. And now I just cannot wait for another one. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.